politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, Minutemen, and Paul Revere's to the Conservative Review podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, your only independent conservative figure here on the realm, but we are growing in ranks. And today we have a special fun show for you today. We've talked a lot about the science, the virology of what is going on, so we could properly inform you guys and and give you the tools to combat the tyranny. But today we're going to discuss the tyranny itself, the political activism, what we can do. Are we on the cusp of a great second American revolution as we've articulated so passionately the last couple months, we need it so badly. The severity of what is going on today is worse than anything King George did to our forefathers under any, any measure. I mean, that is abundantly clear. Obviously, we're seeing um, especially blue state governors making it very clear that they are going to do this until there's a vaccine. They are going to continue the surveillance, the lockdowns, the infringement on life, personal liberty, property rights, um, you name it. Everything and anything under the sun bankrupt us as a no-brainer that's obviously um, going to continue. You saw the Washington state governor, Jay Inslee, starts talking about his brown shirt army of contact tracers, that if you don't cooperate with them, well, let me tell you, you will be placed in home confinement. While meanwhile, the worst sex offenders and robbers are being let out. I have a great article on that. COVID-1984. 1984 1984 just came 35 years late. And guess what? Guess what? Burglary, robbery is skyrocketing in so many cities. This is no longer a just and moral government. What they are doing is illegal. It is immoral and it is illogical. The problem with the phony conservative movement the last number of years is that a lot of people say what I say, maybe a little less emphatically, but then don't do anything with it. Okay, so so, so what? I mean, we're just going to say that academically, but then continue going on with this? I want to introduce a couple of quotes to you before bringing on our really special guest. John Quincy Adams, nip the shoots of arbitrary power in the bud is the only maxim which can ever preserve the liberties of any people. And certainly this is not in its budding stage where we are today. Uh, This is far beyond that. Frederick Douglass, quote, find out just what any people will quietly submit to, and you have the exact measure of the injustice and wrong which will be imposed on them. It's all up to us. What are we okay with? How much are we going to be like that frog in the boiling water where they keep turning it up? And then actually, in some cases, they turned it up so high and now they're slightly cooling it. Oh, well, see, we can go to a park now in some places. Wow. No, don't fall into that trap. Here's the reality. We're going to celebrate July 4th and Memorial Day coming very soon. Two of our most sacred holidays, understanding the foundation of government all just government, the foundation of this republic, the foundation of inalienable rights, what is the purpose of a government, what is a just government, and Memorial Day where we celebrate the sacrifices 
um, that we particularly celebrate in May with um, VE Day in June, um, obviously commemorating Normandy and D-Day, all sandwiched in there with Memorial Day, the sacrifices of people who fought for freedom. The country we have today is not the country they fought for. We need to restore the country they fought for. Article 6 of the Maryland Declaration of Rights, my home state. Whenever the ends of government are perverted and public liberty manifestly endangered and all other means of redress, redress are ineffectual, the people may and of right ought to reform the old or establish a new government. The doctrine of non-resistance against arbitrary power and oppression is absurd, slavish, and destructive of the good and happiness of mankind. This is not some right, right-wing blog here. <laughs> that expression is codified in the Maryland Constitution, in the Declaration of Rights at the beginning, that, oh, come on, you can't do this, you can't do this. No, no, no. You reach a point in time where the doctrine of non-resistance is destructive, slavish, and absurd. We're not talking simply about stupid things like you know metering parks and even closing schools. But I'm talking about real personal liberty, property rights, the ability to earn a living with dignity, where government is basically forcing us into soup kitchens now. They have these free meals. Either you get shut down and you can't, you can't shop on your own, but hey, here's some free food. Is this how we want to live? You know, I've been kind of down, and I've been kind of pessimistic about the degree of rebellion relative to the degree of tyranny we are seeing. But I'm going to bring on a guest that has a point of view that I think you need to hear, but not just a point of view, but a, a set of marching orders. Mark Meckler is one of the best, if not the best, grassroots activists in America today. He's a co-founder of the Tea Party. He's more well-known now for heading the Convention of the States movement, a terrific movement, which he's still working on. But those same activists are now working to fight this tyranny in the here and now. And he is going to tell us what exactly he is planning and how you can help. You can also catch the Mark Meckler daily podcast anywhere you hear shows like mine, um, iTunes, Stitcher. So make sure you catch that as well. Hey, Mark, thanks so much for coming back. Thanks for fighting for liberty. Oh, it's great to be with you. Always glad to spread a little joy in dark times. <laughs> Especially to the Prince of Darkness here. Um, I want you to be the light side of my uh, darkness. You know, my motto is always, you know, if people can't see the light, I'm going to make them feel the pain. So I think they <laughs> felt the pain and you're going to show us the light. What sh- j- just give us a synopsis of what your um, vast network of activists in all 50 states, but particularly certain states are doing, what are they confronted with, and what are the next steps in this budding revolution? So what's going on out there is what I like to see, What I, it's kind of the heart of what I do, which is grassroots activism. And a couple of weeks ago, this probably goes back now only maybe three weeks, I saw spontaneous activism rising up all over the country. Folks had just had it with the shutdown. A lot like you in the beginning, you know, a lot of us were, okay, we'll shut down for a week or two. We'll wait. It's everybody's panic. But as the science has rolled in, as you've laid it out for your listeners and your readers, I've been reading all that and spreading it out to my network. It's not true what they've been telling us. And people know that. And I would say the majority of people know that at this point. And so what's happening is people are starting to rise up against that. I've always said we should have an attitude of defiance 
with common sense compliance, meaning, look, be safe, be careful, use your common sense, use your critical thinking, but we should never like or just accept any of this stuff. So that's where people, I think, mostly reside in this country. And what started happening about three weeks ago, people said, okay, this thing's over. This is ridiculous. This is overbearing. This is overburdensome. It's not called for. It's tyrannical. And they started forming local groups. It's just spontaneous. It's not me organizing. It's not a vast right-wing conspiracy. And they started organizing primarily on Facebook. They were popping up all over the country. I was tracking this. The largest of them, by the way, is out of the state of Michigan. On Facebook, ultimately, over 450,000 people organized there before Facebook erased them from the universe. Uh, and this is called Stand Up Michigan. There are groups like that now all over the country. I would say uh, probably the biggest down in North Carolina. I think there are upwards of 150,000. And in California, there are probably over 100,000. They're all over the country. And they started pushing back against the tyranny. If you've seen protests in Lansing or protests in Virginia or protests in California, they're organized by these independent groups. So a couple of weeks ago, I realized that they needed help in the sense that I've done this before. I've organized a national network of independent groups like this. And so we threw up a platform. The Convention of States Project sort of retooled itself immediately. We're still doing that. But for the moment, the house is on fire. And we opened OpenTheStates.com. And this is a place where these groups can network with each other. We can list their events where they won't get banned like they're censored, like they're getting on Facebook. So now all of these groups are coming together at OpenTheStates.com. They're all working together. We're holding Zoom calls during the week leaders from all over the country. I'm really inspired because they're stepping up and they've pretty much had it at this point, Daniel. Openthestates.com. Did I get that right? That's correct. Okay. Openthestates.com. Make sure to check it out. All of our uh, Facebook fans at Harwood Citizen Sanctuary, as well as at our Miniman Speakeasy. This is really where we could expand, branch out, um, join the network, join what's going on. So, Mark, I want to take this in the here and now and then branch out to the short term, midterm, long term, what we want to do with this movement um, as a movement itself, as an agenda, but first in the immediate term. So, you know, we'll get to the fiscal policy, we'll get to the long term emergency powers and statutory changes and state legislative um, actions that need to uh, be, be taken. But I think you have an important perspective and an important announcement to make as well about this coming Friday that I want you to tell our listeners that, you know, a lot of my pessimism grows from the fact that I look at the Republican Party. And they're a bunch of Teletubbies. They're basically the rear end of the Democrat Party. And even in the most in, in the reddest of or allegedly red states, they're doing absolutely nothing to stand for just bedrock values when it's easy to do. And I'm very pessimistic because we're getting no results. But your view is, no, this is not going to be done like maybe we talked about last time, at least not initially in the state legislatures with the politicians. This is going to be done by the people. What do you have in store for this Friday in particular and thereafter? Well, it's important to remember that Friday is Memorial Day. You mentioned this and our Monday's Memorial Day, but this is Memorial Day weekend. This is when we celebrate those who've been willing to sign on the dotted line and give their all for their country. And we remember people who actually did give their all. And we have to remember they took an oath not to the country, not to their branch in the military, not to the president, but the, to the Constitution itself and to the rights that it protects. And it would be, in my opinion, in the opinion of all these grassroots activists, a travesty if we were allowing those rights to be trampled upon, cowering in our homes and doing nothing about it. So they've decided to do something about it. May 22nd is, has been designated Freedom Friday. 
And here's what the Patriots intend. We are going to stand up, open up and show up. Here's what I mean by that. Everybody in the country, all of your listeners, all of my listeners, everybody who reads your writing needs to stand up and say, enough, we're done with this. We, the people who are sovereign in this country are not listening to you anymore. If you want to talk to us, we might listen, but we're not doing what you tell us. We're in charge of our own destinies and we are taking control of this situation. We are going to consume the information. We are going to think critically and we are going to decide for ourselves. And that's what stand up means. And open up means if you own a business, if you own a local business, then we're asking you to go to your local business, to turn on the lights, to put out the open sign and open, open for business on Freedom Friday. We need you, your communities need you. I know for God's sake, your business needs to be open. I'm talking to people all across the country whose livelihoods have been destroyed by this insane shutdown imposed by the government. So open your businesses. And by show up, what we mean is if you don't own a business, if you're somebody like me, go out and shop. And I can tell you, Daniel, I'm going to shop like mad on Friday and this weekend. I'm going to try to eat every meal out, but only at local restaurants. I'm going to I intend to shop at local stores. All the money that I've saved over the last couple of months that we've been sort of locked down, I'm going to try and spend a whole bunch of it at local businesses. I'm going to support them because if we all stand together, these tyrants can't really do anything to us. So so is it your contention that it is better strategically for people to draw more attention, for people to go and patronize. You got a dog there, Mark? <laughs> yeah, I apologize. We do have dogs in the background and people in and out of the studio. See, I so. got the kids, you got the dogs. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is what happens with the shutdown. But, um, but anyway, Mark, um, what's the deal with p- the police coming and, you know, let's say there's a number of people who draw attention. How is that going to work if they're all there? Well, I think the way it works is like, the police don't really want to do this stuff anyway. I mean, most of the cops, I got to say, I've talked to lots of cops all over the country. And the deal with the cops is most of them don't want to enforce this stuff. And if they see a crowd, they're a lot less likely to enforce it. They, they don't want to have a confrontation with the American people. Most of them are good people being put in a bad situation. I'm not trying to excuse the ones that enforce these things. I think that's tyranny, but most of them don't want to do it. So if they see crowds, number one, they're not going to want to enforce. We saw this at the gym that opened yesterday. If they see that all the merchants are open or a huge proportion of the merchants are open, there's really nothing they can do. They can't come down with the heavy hand of the state on all of us. And where they get us and where they terrify people is when only one or two stand and they're able to bring the full weight of the state down on those one or two and make an example. So the goal is we all stand together. Right. And this is was it Ben Franklin who said we should all stand together or surely we shall hang separately. And so I think this is really important. We have to stand together. That's why Freedom Friday is so important. And this is why if you guys, um, like myself, don't own a business, but you know people who do, you can encourage them and also give them support by certainly patronizing them, but standing there. And I think you're right. I think strategically it makes sense that if they're there alone, it's quiet, but someone snitches on them, you know, it's easy to come down there and harangue them. But, you know, if everyone's around and they're doing this in multiple locations, this whole thing becomes unworkable. We're already seeing a lot of police unions are turning to the city and county governments and saying, this is this is garbage. You know, you're letting out all these sex offenders and all these criminals and you, you, you want me to deal with this. 
Um, and again, you know, this ties back to Memorial Day. It, it's very apropos. In 1927, standing at Arlington National Cemetery, the great President Coolidge said that the integrity of the Union rests on the Constitution. Unless that great instrument is to be the supreme law of the land, we could have no union worthy of our consideration. And he talked about the sacrifice, and it's all predicated that there's something back home to defend. And that's the thing. When you have here, this is not, all right, you know, within 24 hours, 48 hours, you want an executive to be able to act swiftly if there's some nuclear fallout or something. This is two months into this, and they are still operating on executive fiat in almost every state and county as if it's in the first 24 hours, as if there's no legislature, as if there's no separation of powers. Um, You know, Justice uh, Robert Jackson who certainly was familiar with arbitrary executive power when he studied the Weimar Republic, when he was the lead prosecutor at Nuremberg, uh, he understood that what led to that arbitrary abuse is when the Weimar Republic uh, vested, the Constitution vested in its executive um, emergency powers to be uh, used unilaterally and unconditionally and unrestricted and pertaining to anything. And that is so, so dangerous um, what is it we need to do a step beyond this? Let's say we're successful in this movement. We stop the drowning. We save people, pull them out of the water of this ridiculous lockdown. That's not enough. We need to capture this energy in a bottle and we need to take it forward. We need to, you know, like Stonewall Jackson wanted to do. And no, I'm not advocating the Confederacy here. I'm just giving an analogy. You know, let's take Manassas. But no, you got to, I mean, when you're much less powerful than your opponent, you need to seize every opportunity. You need to go for the glory. We need to now turn around and clip their wings and clip their wings permanently. And we need to organize against these tyrants, all of them doing that. How do you see that playing out in the coming months, particularly headed into the election? Well, I think I agree with you. There are multiple phases, and I think that this is an opportunity. You know, Sam Adams, who was the narrator of the American Revolution, one of my favorite patriots, said, we cannot create circumstances, but we must be prepared to wisely improve upon them. And so this is something he was an expert at, and we have to be experts at. And I agree with you. We have We actually have an opportunity here, Daniel. This is why I'm not dark in these times. I see the people rising up. And I think there are a couple of phases to come out of this. So first is we got to get the country open again. And I think these governors, these petty tyrants, they've lost control. In New Jersey, the governor said the beaches were going to be open next weekend. Well, they're open now. And there's really nothing he can do about it because when the people heard that, they realized that this was a bunch of garbage and they just went out to the beach and they're on the beaches in the thousands. And so they're losing control of this and of the narrative all across the country. And I think that's good for freedom because people are seeing them as the petty tyrants that they are. We have hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of new activists being minted across the country right now. And they're going to go into Freedom Friday and they're going to open up the country and they're going to claim victory out of this as they well should. And so the question is, what rolls out of that victory? And I think the next question is really a narrative question. So America is going to be something after this. It's not going to be normal in the sense that we're not going back to where we were. And you and I would agree we don't want to go back to where we were anyway. And. And so so you hear, but you hear all these people on the left use this term and it's terrifying normally, which is the new normal, right? We're going to a new normal. And I think what they mean by that is we're all going to live in very tiny gilded cages 
where the government exercises arbitrary control over us wherever they want. That's not the new normal in my mind. The new normal in my mind is a new American frontier, which is rife with freedom, where freedom breaks out and liberty breaks out all over the place. And here's how that happens. Right now, the reason that we've even survived this to this date is because, frankly, to his credit, President Trump has done some pretty amazing deregulatory stuff on a large scale. So, for example, totally deregulated the trucking industry. And the left would scream, people would be dying all over the high. Well, we're not seeing any of that, right? It's good. So those those regulations have to stay off. He's deregulated what it takes to get drugs approved. We've done tests in three weeks that normally take three years and cost a billion dollars. Right. So we have to keep that stuff off. And so what we need to do is take those examples and drive them down into the system. And what these activists are going to be doing, and I'm going to help them do it, is demanding massive deregulation, massive opening up of civil liberties. It's the only way we're going to save the country, Daniel. And I mean that not just in the liberty sense, not just in in the Madison and Adams sense, but I mean it in terms of our economy. We've now have 36 million plus people unemployed. If you look at underemployment, we're probably up over 75 oh, yeah. million. All right. And Pretty so much half the half the, uh, half the labor workforce. Force. Yeah, yes, exactly. And so if you look at that, J.P. Morgan says 10 years to get our jobs back. Well, that's permanent depression. Right. So that's not going to fly. So the question is, how do we fix that? The government cannot fix that. There's not enough ink in the printing presses to fix that. There's not enough magic in the Fed. But I do believe you and I and our fellow citizens can fix it because we are exceptional and we have the American genius and we have this American inventiveness and American exceptionalism and American entrepreneurialism and nobody works harder than the American people if we are set free to do that. We are very low on the economic freedom index right now. Very hard to start a business in the United States, 50 something in the world as far as how hard it is to start or how easy it is to start a business. So these people are gonna demand that change, demand the peel back of all these regulations and controls and arbitrary things that keep people from being creative, being free and having liberty. I think that's step two, as they do that, we're gonna move into the election. These people will stay invigorated. They are pissed off. And they are going to remember who locked them down. And I'm going to do everything I can to help them organize and swing the tide of the election. Post-election, then our job is to create the new American frontier, this idea that the new frontier is actually liberty. America requires a frontier, Daniel, and we haven't had one for a very long time. Yes. Yes, an inflection point, and I think I think what you're what you're saying here is that this is a reset. This is a massive reset, not a decade reset. Uh, more than a hundred year reset, um, if not longer. The left knows exactly what they want to do with that reset, but at the same time, we could jujitsu that and, and reset it more. Again, getting back to Frederick Douglass's quote there, that people will quietly submit to a certain degree of tyranny, and that's exactly commensurate with that is is what will be imposed on them. But the good news is, you know, let's say you go to level five, level ten, and then suddenly you go to level fifty. Well, you know what? Now you stirred the pot, then you cause rebellion. We're not just going to take it back to where we were pre-March. We're going to take it back. We're, we're, we're going to go for the glory. We're going to take it back to zero um, in terms of tyranny, in terms of the constitutional balance. And like you said, regulatory taxation, the entire relationship of government with the citizen, what is the respective job of state and federal governments, what they should and shouldn't be doing, what they should be doing, they should be doing more of, what they shouldn't be doing, they should be doing less of. We have that opportunity. 
this is really good stuff. But now I'm going to give you the big challenge, the 800-pound gorilla in the room, which I just can't get beyond. You know this more painfully than anyone else. We had a pretty historic, um, successful movement exactly a decade ago in response to what ironically was a fraction of this tyranny that we're seeing today under Obama, the t- stimulus, you know, the the clamping down on people, but the subsidies and really distorting markets, spending, taking people over. And what happened there, it was successful. It kicked out the bad guys. But there's a seesaw of two sides of a coin, a rear end to a tyrannical Frankenstein, and that is the Republican Party. So you're right. I mean, you look at Whitmer, you look at that clown Roy Cooper in um, North Carolina, and uh, you know, at, at least in in the states that are you know marginally red or or purple, maybe even light blue, you could win in. But the question is, win with what? How do we ensure that we don't repeat the same? mistake where the energy we capture gets jujitsued into nothing more than electing the same clownish impotent just teletubby brainless republican politicians that it might feel good for those 48 hours kicking out those democrats but then they get in repeat the same cycle enable the same things the democrats get their stuff anyway except the republicans actually get blamed for it, so then they come back and get even more power, rinse and repeat. How do we really not just capture this opportunity, but make it durable? So I don't disagree with a single thing you said. I I lived, like you said, I probably know it as well as anybody else. I lived through the heart of it. And I got to tell you, it was incredibly disheartening, Daniel. I was there in 2010 on Capitol Hill for election night, and I was giddy. It was euphoric. To me, we had reached political nirvana. We had taken over the House of Representatives in the biggest swing since 1938. I expected everything would change. And I would say the reason that I expected that is my own naivete. And what I mean by that is I had an eighth grade civics version in my head of how politics worked. You elect people that say they stand for what you stand for. They go to Washington and everything changes. And sadly, that's just not reality. And I watched them get swallowed by the swamp. Most of them, no exaggeration, most of them within a month. And so I've learned a lesson, and I think activists have learned these lessons. We have the scars to prove it, the losses to prove it. And we understand that it's going to take something much, much more aggressive than just winning elections. We, the people, have to be involved in politics every single day. It's literally a daily thing. You know how, and I'm not a huge sports fan, but you know, you probably have friends that are, they're big NFL fans or NHL or whatever their sport is. And it's kind of an obsession with them. That's how we should be about our civic duty. That's what the founders were. And one of the things I think we forget is how different the culture was. And and I don't mean this in any judgmental day, uh, judgmental way. In the day of the founders, they didn't have television, radio, internet, et cetera, et cetera, Right. And so it was entertaining to them to be. It was a blood sport. It was. I mean, you look at the tens of thousands of people who showed up um, during bad weather in northern Illinois for the Lincoln Douglas debates. There were tens of thousands of people out there in the rain. Yeah. So look, for them, it was they were passionate about it. It was their team. It was a fight. 
we complain about the newspapers. The newspapers were actually much more boldly partisan back then than they are today. They were <laughs> generally owned by the party, actually, called the Democrat or the Republican. And so, but people engaged in it in that way with that kind of passion. I pr and this is going to sound crazy. I think we need more money in politics, not yes. less money in politics. I, I love it. I love what you're saying because what what drives me nuts i mean it, it, like i feel like wringing their necks the some of my colleagues these people you know what you know exactly what i'm talking about they're like mindless robots as like the core issues pertaining to our system of government fiscal social national security border crime um regulations you name it um, they're out to lunch. Every legislative or policy fight or news event that could easily leverage it, you know, like Pensacola was a huge opportunity to get, um, you know, right to carry on the bases was to get get a, a reasonable shutoff of this insane um, suicidal lack of vetting immigration um, across the board, much less in our military naval training programs. And yet I know because I say that because that just came up this yep, week. They now, up today. Yeah, they now found out that the guy had downright ties to Al Qaeda and we still let him into a naval training and we still, um, you know, we got nothing out of that. That This administration continued that. um that that program when they had an easy opportunity, even the media was kind of like goading the president into to doing a shutoff. It made sense. And it's like, you know, th th there nothing ever changes us. My colleagues are focused on whatever is least important in a given day. That's what they'll focus on the soap opera. And then and then after we're screwed because they're not active comes the election. Like, well, Daniel, huh, huh, you're not going to vote for the Republican huh, huh, the election election, most important election of the lifetime. And I'm like, you idiot vote for whoever you want, do what you want in the election. But there's an election every single day intermittently between those two years where you could engage and you're seeing it. If you get in their faces, it makes a difference. Even in California, Gavin Newsom is backing down on a lot of things, you know, because they got in his face and that that's a solid blue state. Imagine all of the states where we have the trifecta of control. Like, and, and, and I'm going to end this with a question for you. You're in Texas. I can't, you know, everyone's like, oh, General Nancy Pelosi controls the Congress. Well, okay, fine. But, you know, Republicans control the Senate and the White House. But whatever. Anyway, you go to Texas, Republicans control all branches of government, and they have for quite a while. Yet, I, from the activists that have reported to me and from the news stories I've seen, I don't think I've seen more demonstrations of tyranny anywhere else, uh, more than in Texas, before the reopening and now even with the tepid reopening it seems like localities could do whatever the heck they want what is going on in texas well we have exactly what you're saying we have a trifecta of republican control and have for a long time every statewide election officer officer stands for statewide election is republican meanwhile our republicans do nothing and this includes Governor Greg Abbott, one of my great pet peeves, as he goes on national TV. I saw him on Hannity's show last night, Hannity giving him accolades for how well he's handled this. And I'm just going to be blunt. He hasn't done jack. It, this is in the in the southern states post reconstruction. The governors have very little power. This is not to excuse him. They have very little legislative power. So when it comes to what the legislature does, they have the bully pulpit. He's got a pretty big one. He could be a lot better. But when it comes to municipalities, they have virtually total control. It's almost monarchical control over the municipalities. So Governor Abbott could say absolutely not, just like Governor DeSantis did, by the way, kudos to him in Florida, and just say, you're not going to have policies more restrictive than mine. 
But he has not done that. And thus, where I live in Travis County, Austin, Texas, locked down. Dallas, locked down. Houston, San Antonio, El Paso, locked down. And the governor could stop this. And, and I want to throw out one more. There's a national case, Shelley Luther, the hairdresser in Dallas, who defied the authorities, ripped up her citation, ended up getting thrown in jail. Then Governor Abbott expressed his outrage. Seriously? It was his order that threw her in jail. He, he looked like a cable news commentator, like he was some sort of like you and me, like some sort of outsider that had a, had a podcast or something. Yeah, he it's he, he threw her in jail, essentially. And and really important to remember, that case is not over. He did nothing to get her out of jail. He changed his order after the fact, took credit for it. But it was the Texas Supreme Court that stepped in after her lawyer brought an excellent habeas petition, which means she's out of jail and still in legal jeopardy. Yes. Governor Abbott did not fix this at all. And so the politicians step in and they pretend and here's why I'm going to I'm going to blame it on the voters and the folks in the legislature. We get this feeling like, well, isn't it awesome? The Republicans are in charge. It's all going to be good now. And the answer to that is I always say this, Daniel, Republicans campaign as conservatives and govern as Democrats. And that's what we've had here in Texas. And until the people start to chew on these folks for doing the wrong thing, it's going to stay that way. And and that's the thing. This is what we need to do. We have a reset button. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of devastation we're going to be feeling for a while. But you know what? The pendulum of liberty could swing back pretty quickly, um, just as swiftly as the pendulum of tyranny struck us just within a couple of weeks. But that's going to take um, a, a changing of the guards and, and new leaders, new tactics. Um, like you mentioned, we got to get more aggressive, more emphatic, but also stick to it long term, not just crawl out for an election or something. Because, again, I mean, I'm looking across the board and I, and I cannot think of an area where we as a movement have succeeded in creating a single red state. I mean, you know, we, we hear, hear all these excuses about all oh, the Democrats and Pelosi, but it's not like I'm seeing a model of man. This is a state where Republicans have five to one majorities. And I'm not exaggerating. I mean, you look at the Dakotas, you look at Idaho, and we can't even like bar forced castration surgeries for children in some of these states. I mean, we can't get anything. The only thing they could pass is emptying the prisons and bringing in more refugees. That's what they seem to be able to accomplish. And it's a failure of all of us that if even in states like that, you can't succeed and you have these, um, just goober Republicans there. Um, almost every governor, Republican governor, is just an utter puke. And then, like, you know, you get Ron DeSantis, who's probably the best governor, but then the legislature is full of Republican pukes. Um, you know, they, he, he had to just beg them to even bar sanctuary cities. A lot of them didn't want to do that. So that's that's my question. Where is this next phase? How do, how do we move from the people to the politicians, um, your entire organization was predicated on activism, working with state legislators um, to uh, successfully, what is it, 15, 17 states you got? 15 so far. 15 states to ratify um, the resolution to go to a convention of the states. How do we replicate that model? At least, I mean, look, if, I'll take it if we could only even get those 15 states or I don't know where the trifecta looks now, but we have trifectas in at least that many states. If we could only get in those states some sort of package 
that deals with emergency powers and permanently makes codifies a never again message that we will never do this again. How do we get that off the ground? Well, so that is our intent for the next legislative session. There's then there is an interim step, Daniel. And again, I I'll take the blame for this because I'm learning incrementally and I'm not I didn't grow up in politics. I'd never want to run for office, never have run for office. So I'm learning as I go. One of the things that I've learned is that we would have thousands, tens of thousands of activists in the state and the politicians didn't give a damn. And the reason they didn't give a damn is because we weren't working to throw them out of office when they were bad. We didn't have PACs. We weren't raising money. We weren't engaged in elections. So they thought, you know, well, we'll deal with you when your issue comes around. You'll put in a bunch of calls and then that's that. So what I've learned is you have to be able to take aggressive political action, both for and against candidates. And so that's what I'm seeing. Our network is now expanding into that as a 501c3 or c4. We can't do that. But we have a bunch of activists now setting up PACs in all these states so that we can actually have a political impact. That's the only thing that politicians generally care about is can you help them get elected or can you throw them out of office? So that's next. And we're working on that all across the country. It's complex on a 50 state basis. And nobody runs such an operation on a 50 state basis. So that's something that we're inventing from the ground up. No, because we don't have a political party. The Republican Party, based on its platform, promised to do this. But, you know, it's 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 just pissing in the wind. If anything, it's actually a defeat mechanism that often hurts us even more. Because <clears throat> if you only had the Democrat Party, I do think people would wholesale rebel and it, all the blame would go on them. This whole fake fight kind of clouds people's vision. And I'm just speaking out loud here. And feel free to comment it on it, but it's also advice to you, advice to your activists, advice to everyone to join together. This needs to be a reset. In other words, we can't go along with the same things where we have Republicans running in primaries and it's like, where do you stand on taxes? Where do you stand on immigration? Like as if like this is any other time. No, you have to speak to the time we live in. If you cannot categorically promise and then demonstrate how you will fight corona fascism and everything it represents and everything born out of it right it's not like well you know let's hope to you know do this in a proper way no no, no. The, the science is clear the constitution is clear the motivations of those pushing it are clear i mean i i want to have your theory because i i've explained this on steve davis's show i've explained it on my show but i want to get your theory on this this is a phenomenal observation we are now dead last in science and liberty in the entire Western world. We are behind every European country, every European country, and not just the ones that weren't so into this to begin with, like Sweden, and to a certain extent, some of the northern countries there in Switzerland. But I mean, even France, France has the schools open. Um, Italy is about to open. Um, they almost they're all done with this. They're all, and not just like, oh, lockdowns worked, so now we can do this. They're moving away from this entire premise, and they realized it was wrong. Why are we so behind Europe? Yeah, I think it's because of the way our politicians are wired here and the way our system works. And this is what I mean by that. Our politicians live their entire lives in a model that is fundamentally based upon risk aversion. And so the worst risk that a politician could ever take, according to them and their own calculation, is the idea that they could be held responsible for somebody dying. So the easiest decision for them to make is to say, I did everything I could. And you know this is a false choice, but they're going to say, I did everything I could 
so that not one person, one additional person died. That's, this is the Cuomo statement, right? There's no price. We're going to try and save every single life. He's, he's moved off of that now because he's being forced to. But that's the, the fundamental premise. And so that keeps them in paralysis. We also then have a media that is continuing the narrative that this is still an amazing, unbelievable, unprecedented health crisis. And so they're screaming into the ears of these politicians, screaming for them to lock down. I mean, who are you seeing in the mainstream media that's saying, well, it looks like it's not so bad. Maybe we shouldn't be locked down. And the answer is nobody in the mainstream media. So you've got an echo chamber bouncing back and forth between terrified politicians who worry only about their careers and a media who is hysterical. And frankly, they make money off it, Daniel. If it bleeds, it leads, right? If if the coronavirus isn't such a big thing, then they have to admit that they got it wrong and there's not money. In it. No, that's what it is. It's also my theory is that liberty is not an option in Europe. I mean, it's a, you can't kill a head door, a dead horse twice. So there it's not, they don't find a threat from forces of freedom. They don't find that as a threat. They don't need to use coronavirus as a pretext to go and kill liberty because they could already do what they want. They were never free. So now they just don't want to, you know, destroy their country. So they're going to follow the prudence and science henceforth. Whereas in America, especially with the perception of freedom forces being, you know, in the Republican Party, Trump being president, they have to fight that much harder to use this as a pretext. And once they've actualized so much success, they've sunk their teeth into it. They are not going to yank that loose. They're not going to let that go until we rip it from them. So the worst thing we could have is the perception that we have an army, but then not use it because then the left is going to be more ferocious than even the European left. So I think that's what we're, you know, the threat we have of fighting this, but only doing it half heartedly. Um, Any closing words on that and to direct our activists? So many people are like, Daniel, what could I do? What could I do? Well, what could they do? Yeah. So closing remarks, just remember, uh, Madison was prescient when he said that the Constitution and the provisions of the Constitution were only parchment barriers against the encroaching spirit of power. And it wasn't a diss on the Constitution. He just wanted people to know then and in the future that the Constitution is only as good as we are. If we don't stand for it, if we don't put blood, sweat, and tears, and stiff spines into it, then the Constitution is just a piece of paper. So what that means is people have to stand up and fight. You, you're, I'm speaking to your listeners now, Daniel, because I know you're always fighting. You, if you're listening, have to look in the mirror and say, what am, what am I going to do? Not what's Daniel going to do, what's Mark going to do, what is the government going to do, what are my neighbors going to do, what am I going to do? This is a self-defining moment for you. Are you going to find yourself worthy of standing in the shoes of the original patriots? I think you are worthy. I think everybody in America is worthy of that. It's just a choice. And regular people have been making that choice for over two centuries. Lots of them died for that choice. That's why we have Memorial Day this weekend. So I'm asking you, look in the mirror and make a decision. How much is too much for you to take? And I hope that you think like Daniel and I that we're way beyond that too much point. This, you know, Daniel and I talked late last night. It was it was midnight in your area, 11 p.m. here. Right. I I was out in the gym talking to you. Yeah, I know you got little ones at home and we're up late at night because we are so passionate about we can't sleep. It matters that much. 
And you matter that much if you're listening. You, you an individual, not you collectively even. You, the person listening to this, you are the patriot. And, and you start this. And you're the Minuteman. You're the Paul Revere. Who's going to tell their neighbors if not you? And so the question is, will you step up? May 22nd, this Friday, is Freedom Friday. Will you stand up and say no more? Will you open your business if you have a business? Will you take, it's a risk. I'm going to be straight with you. The authorities might come down on you. Right now, I'm working with Sarah Huff in Michigan. They they tried to shut her down. She's a hairdresser. She's 29 years old. They gave her a cease and desist order. They're threatening her. Young woman, just independent entrepreneur. Will you stand with people like Sarah? Will you open your business? Do you have that kind of fortitude? That's what your founders, they gave you that legacy Will you exercise it? And then if you're like me, you don't own a small business. I run a, a national nonprofit. You're like Daniel. He's a podcaster and a writer, not a, not a business person per se. People like us have to go out and patronize your business. I'm going to be, if you're in Texas, in my area, if you're in Leander, Cedar Park, Texas, I'm coming into your business. I am going to spend my money. If there are police there, I'm going to tell them to get lost, that I support you being open. And so that's the question. I need you to look in the mirror and ask yourself what you're made of. You listen to Daniel, that means you're pretty radical and in the best possible way. And so what I'm asking you is to exercise that radical freedom, that radical sense of liberty. Don't just sit on your butt and do nothing about it. We can't do that. The nation's at stake. If you don't stand, the nation falls. And so here, here's the very specific. Go to openthestates.com. Go to your state, find out what's going on in your state and support it. And if you if you want me to direct you, Daniel, I'm happy. I give my personal email address out. It's mmeckler at cosaction.com. I do everything I can to answer all my emails personally. If I don't get to you, it's nothing personal. I'm doing my best, but I'll try to direct you in the right direction. I'll try to help. Just step up and help these folks. If you, if you want to give money, you could give it to openthestates.com, but you could also go to for example, Sarah Huff's Facebook page, that young woman or, or her GoFundMe page. Go to go to GoFundMe, look up Sarah Huff, and you'll find a young woman who's inspiring, incredible, and trying to do something. And she's got to pay lawyers and maybe fines. And, and so help people that are in the fight. But go to OpenTheStates.com and find out how to do more. OpenTheStates.com, that is it, folks. And remember, there are few people that organize as well as Mark and, and his staff do. So I certainly endorse donating to this organization. Remember, um, many of us have been given checks, you know, free money uh, from the government, this stupid bill they passed. Um, it was too little for those that had their lives destroyed. But for people like us that did not lose our salaries, uh, it's it's extra. So, I mean, think about donating that to people like Sarah. I have a barber in my uh county that is in a similar predicament um just just really it, it, it haunts me it haunts me to this day to think about people like that because they really do not earn that much money but they never ask for handouts or anything like that they just want a paycheck not a welfare check um as as mark has mentioned there's no middle ground here um we can no longer sit silently and take this while um these infringements are tolerable as Jefferson warned and crafting the declaration because they no longer are, you can't move. But on the other hand, once you fight for it, perhaps we will succeed in growing those Mayflowers of freedom from the April reign of tyranny that we had 
beyond even what we had before and rolling back some of the problems in our system of government over this 100-year bloodless revolution that really crystallized in just a matter of a few weeks. So that's the thing. This is almost like a seesaw reaching its inflection point, and it is an opportunity. We cannot sit out. Freedom Friday, uh, we will be promoting this online as soon as I get off there every day through Friday, through Memorial Day. Mark, thanks for fighting for all of us. Thanks for what you do. May God bless your work, and may we all see fruit from this. Till tomorrow, stay safe and stay free. Stay free.